for coming. Uh, tonight's class has been dedicated by Dorothy Melvin, and this is in honor of her father's yard site, um, which is going to be this Shabbos, the 21st of Tammuz. His name is Mordechai ben Yitzchak. All of us shalom. Have a great, great aliyah to the greatest of heights. And may he channel lots of brachas to you and all that you need and all that you want, both in the material and in the spiritual good health, and, and, and a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of good things. Thank you for that dedication. Another dedication was by Mrs. Shandle Lienz, and this is in honor of her father's yard site, which is a day after that, which is on Sunday, the 22nd of Tammuz. And his name is Mayor Ziskin Ben Moshe, all of Ashala. May his Shama have the greatest aliyah to the greatest of heights, and may he channel a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of wonderful, big, big blessings to you and to your family for only happiness and joy and good, 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 good things, uh, both in the material and in the spiritual. Thank you so much. Another dedication this week was by Yoram Kohen. And this is from Pro Auto Center. If you need a car, that's a good place to go either buy or lease a car. Great, great guy, Yoram. In any case, this he dedicated L'schus Arafur Shalema for his brother, older brother, Moshe ben Chana, should have refuah shalema, amongst all the other ill of the Jewish people, a complete and total refuah. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, we are ready to begin the class. Um, this week is Parshas Pinchas, and in Parshas Pinchas, we learn about Hashem telling Moshe Rabbeinu that his life is coming to an end. This is at, when the Jewish people are already coming close to entering into the into Eretz Yisrael, they're already in Arvos Moab, they're in the plains of Moab, and um, uh, Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu that uh, he should he should prepare. That this week we have actually where Hashem tells him, "Avarim to go up on the mountain, and you will be able to from there you'll be able to see the whole land, but you will not come into the land because of the sin that you did with the hitting of the rock, which we learned about two weeks ago. Now." Even though in Chumash it doesn't feel like this is the very end still, because we're still going to read the Torah the whole summer until after Sukkot, and that's about until Sukkot when we read the Zayis and that's when Moshe passes away. But we know the whole Parsha Sefer Devarim was just said in the last forty days of Moshe's life, as he repeated the entire Torah when he, he gave us Mishnah Torah and went over all the mitzvahs and the like. So this is already the end of Sefer Bamidbar. This is already the last. Uh, a month or two, two months, let's say, before Moshe passes away. Shem tells him, your end is nearing, and so forth. So Moshe Rabbeinu turns to God in, in uh, Pasuk uh, Perek Chav Zayin, Pasuk Tezvav, Vaydaber Moshe Hashem Lamer, Moshe spoke to Hashem saying, Yifkoid Hashem Elokai Haruchais, L'chol Basar, Hashem, who is the God of spirits, that means who knows everybody's spirit, should appoint Ish Ala Eda, he should appoint a, a leader. Being that I'm not gonna, I'm departing. 
So Moshe Rabbeinu was concerned about his flock. So he wanted to make sure there is going to be a leader to lead the Jewish people from here and onward. And he says, that he should go out before them, simply to war. He should come before them. He will bring them out and everything. And he will bring them, he will take them out and bring them in. We'll soon see the redundancy of this. He will go out before them and he will come before them. Then he should take them out and then he should bring them. Seems to be redundant. And the and the assembly of God should not be like sheep that don't have a shepherd. So Moshe Rabbeinu is um, assuring the future leadership of the Jewish people, asking Hashem that he should appoint a leader. That's what it says over here. Hashem responds to Moshe's request and he tells him, Take your Yeshua, Joshua, Yeshua ben Nun. He was the second leader of the Jewish people. boy, a man who's got the spirit. And you should lean your hands upon him. Meaning, literally, put your hands on him, which was a way of giving smicha. Smicha meant that one was... Um, so that we, we know the concept of smicha when someone is um, given... Uh, what is it called? How do they call it in English? Um, my head is I'm just a little tired. Uh, yeah, when someone is given rabbinic ordination, uh, so that's called smicha. But the real Indian of smicha was when it was coming through the, a direct channel of Moshe Rabbeinu. And over here, Moshe Rabbeinu was appointing Yeshua, leans his hands on him, and he's taking of his leadership and his kingship, as we're going to see, and he's transmitting it over to Yeshua. And then, um, well, whatever, that's what it says. And Moshe Rabbeinu did as he was told. And he leans his hands upon him. When he commanded him, spoke in the hands of Moshe. This is the story. Moshe Rabbeinu appoints a successor. Now, um, the Rambam in the Laws of Kings, now this is the shirt this week is going to be in many ways a continuation to last week's shir. And if you, didn't, if you haven't listened to last week's shir, I would highly recommend getting the CD and listening to it. It's a very important shir, very exciting shir. And last week we discussed the whole idea of a Jewish king and why Judaism is looking forward for our ultimate um, salvation to come through a Jewish king and that we will go back to a monarchy. We will, we will stop our, our, we will forever and ever. We will not be in a democracy, we'll be in a monarchy. And why that's special and why that's great and why in truth we're all craving that and why that's the ultimate purpose of creation. All of that was discussed last week to give us an understanding of what Moshiach is all about. So because of that, um, I would like to continue the discussion in the concept of a king. But this week, I'd like to analyze our... Last week we spoke about the David HaMelech and the future king. This week I want to speak about the original kings of Israel. And uh, from Rambam, it seems to imp- says clearly that Rambam is of the opinion that Moshe, that Yehoshua was a king, and Moshe was also a king. And they weren't just leaders of the Jewish people, but they had the halachic uh, uh, criteria. They had the halachic qualifications to be considered the kings of Israel. Even though Rambam and in Medrash. And in, and in the commentators in Rambam, we're soon going to see, there is 
times when we see that we call King Shaul, Saul, King Shaul Amelech, the first king of Israel. So we're going to see about that later in the class. That's a, the, in regards to why Shaul Amelech is considered the first king. However, Moshe and Yehoshua were also called kings. Where do we find that the Ramam holds that Yehoshua has the, the is called halachically a king? Ramam says in the Laws of Kings, it's all the way in the end of Mishnah Torah, the Laws of Kings, chapter one, Perak Aleph Halachi Gimel. Ein mamiden melech tchila, we do not appoint a king on the Jew for the Jewish people. In order to appoint a king, you need to have the authority of the high court, a Beisdin of 70, of the 70 elders, and a prophet. To appoint a king, to elect a king, we need to have these, we have to have a Beisdin and a Navi, and in the combination of a prophet and the Torah authority of a high court, the highest authority of Torah authority by the Jewish people was the Supreme Court that, that uh, sat in the Holy Temple in the Beis HaMikdash. So these 70 Zikainim, together with the Navi, decide to appoint the king, and they decide who the king is. And to prove that, Rambam says, um, Ki Yehoshua, like Yehoshua, just like Joshua, Shemino Moshe Rabbeinu Ebezdinoi, that he was appointed the kingship through Moshe. Moshe is a Navi. Moshe is the greatest Navi ever to be. So through Moshe and his Beisdin. Rambam doesn't say Moshe did it himself. Even though in the Pasuk it doesn't seem to say anything about Moshe's Beisdin. Yeah, it does. It says, I think it says, yeah, it says clearly, I'm sorry. It says you should, you should, you should station him in front of Elazar the Kohen and in front of the entire assembly which means it required the assembly, and the assembly could be all the Jewish people, but also the assembly of the Zikanim. So you see it was in the presence of the Beisdin. You have the Navi and the Beisdin together there. So that's a halacha. So Ramam is proving, and that's why any king, that's when David HaMelech was appointed, it was through a Navi and the Beisdin, with the, 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 the confirmation of the Beisdin, same as Shaul and the like. Fine, that's the halacha. You see from here that Rambam is of the opinion that Yehoshua is considered a king. Again, he's not just a leader who leads the Jewish people or a judge. Yeshua is considered a king. Um, so is also seems to be from Rashi in various places. Rashi in Chumash, in Parshas Vezos Habracha, which is what we read all the way in the end of the Torah and the Blessings. Over there in the blessings to the Shevet Ephraim, the Pasik says, when Hashem, when Moshe Rabbeinu blesses Ephraim, there's a Pasik that says, Bukhor Shoiroi Hoderloi, the Bukhor of an ox, he get is, which is Hodar of splendor, loy to him. So Rashi says, Bukhor Shoiroi means, Melech Hayoitsememenu, a king that's going to come forth from Ephraim. From the tribe of Ephraim, who Yehoshua, and that's Yehoshua. So you see, Rashi calls Yehoshua a Melech. And we can't just say that maybe Rashi's just using that in a Midrashic form. If you look in Rashi, in, um, in Rashi, in Mesechtis Yuma, in Shas as well, it says that where we learn out 
we know that the, when the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, had this special, amazing um, power to communicate godly answers to anybody that came to him. He wore the breastplate, and he had the Urim Vitumim, in which one can ask questions. So we know that it's not every Shmegegi that comes to ask a question that can be introduced and come to make the Kohen Gadol, any Nudnik that can come with a question, you know, uh, to the, ask the Kohen Gadol. Uh, you only allow to ask important questions on behalf of a, a communal matter if the Beisden wants to ask or for a king. If the king needs to know something in regards to, yes, attack North Korea or no, let's say imagine a serious situation, yes or no, which you don't know what to do because to do nothing, as we see, can be very dangerous, but to do something can also be very dangerous. So yes or no, what do you do? So you understand there are certain crucial dilemmas. A king has to, it would be great if you can ask the Urim Vitumim, okay? So Rashi says, because it says that he should stand, um, it says, Lefnei uh, 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 here it says, He should ask in the Mishpat of the Urim Vitumim, who he, and it says actually now, who the Cholbenei Yisrael, he and all the Jewish people. So Rashi says, who, it, the, the Gemara says is a melech. When it says who, that means a king. A king is the one who can ask the Kohen, the high priest. And Rashi says, how do you know that the word who is referring to a king? So Rashi says, because it's talking about Yehoshua. And Yehoshua is, a, so you see from here that Rashi is clearly <laughs> believes or considers rather Yehoshua as a melech. There's another proof to this in Rambam. There's a lot, a lot of sources. I'm, just, I'm quoting a few sources. Rambam also in the laws of Sanhedrin, not in the laws of kings. Rambam over there is discussing the idea that um, you're not allowed to ever put some, you're not allowed to give someone capital punishment based on their own admission. If you don't have witnesses, someone comes into court and he says, I killed so and so. So, of course, obviously, the person needs to be punished. They're going to imprison him. They're going to do whatever they're going to do. You can't put them to death. You can't punish someone by death unless there's witnesses not based on their own admission. So Rambam is asking, if so, how did Yehoshua put Achan to death? Achan was the one who um, stole from the spoils of Jericho, of Yericho. And he helped himself and he caused the Jewish people, as a result of that, to lose people at war. And the, the Jewish people punished him. But Yeshua tells him, admit. And he admits. So if so, Rambam says, how did he kill him? And Rambam asks, also, King David also killed someone. And after they admitted. So how did David HaMelech kill someone based on their admission and Yeshua? So Rambam says, maybe it's because they did it not as capital punishment of Torah, but as a king's authority. See, a king is allowed to punish someone with, for, with death, even if it's not a Torah-punishable thing by, of death. A king is allowed to set order of the land, and he has the authority on the life of other people. So maybe it was an exclusive aspect of kingship. See, see clearly from all these sources that Yehoshua has a din melech. He's called a king. If that's the case... Here's a question. We know that when, the, when a king becomes king, 
there is a procedure. And one of the most important elements of that procedure is that the king is anointed with a special anointing, anointing oil. That's why Mashiach is called Mashiach, and David HaMelech is also called Mashiach. Mashiach means anointed. Anointed with what's called Shemen HaMishcha, with the anointing oil. And it was used both to anoint a high priest, and it was also anoint, used to anoint a king. So the question then becomes, how come, when we look over here in the parsha, where Moshe Rabbeinu is promoting Yehoshua to leadership, and which we are now saying that that leadership is kingship, how come we don't find that Moshe Rabbeinu was using Shemen HaMishcha, anointing oil to anoint him? Rambam says, quote, read the Rambam, Rambam says over here, Keshemamidin Mamelech, when we appoint a king, this is in the same parak, parak Aleph, laws of kings, halacha uh, Zion. When we appoint a king, he is anointed with shemen amishcha with anointing oil. Okay, that's that's Rama, and he proves it from when Shmuel Anavi anointed Shaul Amelech, King Saul, when Samuel anointed Saul, which I say everything in English too. Okay, when Shmuel anointed Shaul Amelech, okay. Fine. What did he do? He anointed him with, with shaman, with, with the oil. So you see from here that that's the procedure. So again, then we need to understand how come the anointing oil was not used for, for, uh, for, for, um, for Yeshua. Now you can ask the same question on Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu was definitely a king. According to some, is referring to Moshe. Moshe was amongst the Yeshurim, amongst the Jewish people. He was a king. And definitely, Yeshua, Yeshua wasn't in any way a stronger leader than Moshe. And Moshe was for sure a king. And Moshe wasn't anointed with the Shem and Amish. But on Moshe, it's not a question. Because Moshe became king before they ever produced the Shem and Amish. The Shem and Amish, the anointing oil, was a special perfumed oil that God instructed Moshe. Take a chair over here. That Hashem, that Hashem appointed, uh, it was a special anointing oil that Hashem, um, or what's it called again, Hashem uh, instructed Moshe Rabbeinu to make during the time of the uh, construction of the Mishkan, which was way after Moshe Rabbeinu was already appointed by God to be the leader of the Jewish people. Moshe led the Jewish people out of Mitzrayim, split the sea, brought from them one from heaven, gave them the Torah. So he's already deep, deep, deep in the midst of his reign to go and appoint him now with Shevan Amishcha wouldn't make any sense. Actually, it's a Ramban. The mitzvah that you're supposed to anoint the king with Shevan Hamishcha doesn't say openly in the Chumash. In the Chumash it says that a, that a king should be anointed. Sorry, in the Chumash it says that you should make anointing oil and it says clearly that it should be used for the Kohanim, for the high priests. It doesn't say anywhere in Chumash that you should use anointing oil for, for, for a king. However, Ramban in Parshas Kisisa, in Shemos, Parshas Kisisa, where we learn about the production, the making of this special anointing oil, 
on Pasuk Lamed Aleph, Perek Lamed, Pasuk Lamed Aleph, it says, Ve'el b'nei Yisrael t'daber lemor, and to the Jewish people you should speak, saying, Shemen mishchas koidesh yiezeli l'doroseichem. Holy anointing oil, this should be for me, God says, for future generations. Ramban says, this is the source that you're supposed to anoint a king with Shevan HaMishcha. doesn't say anything about kings. So Nachmanides, Ramban, says, well, Ramban, Ramban asks a question. How come it doesn't say that the oil should be for Aaron? For example, by the clothing, it doesn't say the clothing belonged to God. It says, make special priestly garments, and this will be for, for the Kohanim. And even the, the high priest's garment, that only the high priest wears. And what happens when one high priest dies and they appoint another one? He gets the garments. So therefore it says the garments are for Aaron and for his descendants. So it should have said the same thing that the Shemen HaMishcha, the oil, is for Aaron and his descendants. Why does it say it's for me? God says it's mine. So Ramban says the reason is because it's not only for Kohanim. It's for all appointments that God all anointed ones that God anoints. And God anoints two anointments. What are the two anointments or the two anointees that the Abishter anoints? It's kingship and priestlyhood. Kahuna and Malchus. These are the two things. And that's why Hashem says, the oil is for me, Shem and Mishchas Kodesh, for all of my Mashichas that I want to be Mosheach, that I want to, that I want to anoint. Oh, so, but that comes out that that mitzvah began only later in the while Moshe was already a king. So there's no question why Moshe wasn't anointed. The question is why wasn't Yehoshua? Why don't we find the Abishter says to Yeshua to 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 Moshe Rabbeinu to anoint Yeshua? Now I do want to say parenthetically, there is a mechilta, which is a medrash in Parshas Bishalach. When Moshe Rabbeinu sent Yehoshua out to wage war against Amalek, 40 years earlier, when Amalek came, this is before the giving of the Torah even, when Amalek came to confront, when we went out of Egypt, Amalek, and Moshe Rabbeinu sent Yehoshua out to battle. Moshe was on top of the mountain holding in prayer, holding up his hands. Yeshua went out to battle. So the Mechilta says over there, from here we see that Yeshua was nimshach, Yeshua was anointed. And Apipashtis, he was anointed with some kind of anointing oil. So really, so first of all, number one, it doesn't seem that that was a real anointment with anointing oil because they haven't even made the anointing oil yet. That's, that's for sure. But, but also, it wouldn't make any sense that Yeshua was then anointed for kingship because Moshe Rabbeinu was still going to be king for another 40 years. How would it make any sense to appoint Yeshua at that time? And more than that, at that time, there wasn't yet decreed upon Moshe that he wouldn't go into Eretz Yisrael. So Moshe could have been the one who would live on for all eternity and be our king forever and lead us into Israel. So you can't say that the anointment of Yeshua at that time, that the Medrash means that was he anointed with Shem and Amishcha to be king then. So you have to say that when it says the Medrash that he was anointed, it means he was, he was anointed as a general. There was something called Meshuach Mohammed, the general of war also was anointed. But not as king. So that brings us back to the question, how come Yeshua was not anointed? And I want to share with you a very interesting Orachayim HaKadosh, being that it was the Orachayim HaKadosh's yard site this um, Sunday. So the Orachayim says, here we are, just really fascinating Orachayim. The Orachayim says, in the last Psukim, 
when it says Vayismoich es Yodav in Perik in in Pasuk Chav Gimel right before Hamishi, Vayismoich es Yodav Olav that Moshe leaned his hands upon him, Vayitzaveyu and he commanded him, Kashediber Hashem like Hashem spoke Biyad Moshe in the hands of Moshe. Rechaim is wondering what is the interesting word. Usually it says Kashediber Hashem El Moshe like Hashem spoke to Moshe. Here it says, Kashadiber Hashem, that Moshe leaned his hands on him like Hashem spoke beyond Moshe in the hands of Moshe. Hashem is not speaking in the hands of Moshe. Hashem is speaking to Moshe. El Moshe. So the Archaim says something really, really, really interesting. He says, Oy Oy Mar, all we can say, Yer Moiz, that when it says, Al Derech Amr Mazal, ain't Sav Elamalchus. The Rechaim is also of the opinion, which I mentioned earlier, that Moshe Rabbeinu was appointing him as a king, not just as a leader, as a teacher. He was the king. So now, and he brings the Pasuk that, that you use the word commanding him, applicable to kingship, to sovereignty. So Moshe Rabbeinu was appointing Yeshua to kingship. And therefore it says, Kashadiber Hashem biyad Moshe, like Hashem spoke in the hands of Moshe, Kia Malchus, because this usually where does Malchus come from? This is you know, I said, I don't know. I was saying before, I don't know how excited I would get, right? But here we are. Uh, usually, how do we funnel kingship into someone? How does a person from become from an ordinary being? An extraordinary being, an elevated human being. Especially we spoke last week, what it means to be a king, completely elevated, transcendent, and all that. How do you get that? It's from that anointing holy oil. Hashem channels his malchus through the Shem and Amishra. But in this case, there's no Shem and Amishra being used. Why? Because Vayetzaveyu, he's commanding him, which is kingship. Kashediber Hashem, like Hashem directed that kingship. In Biyad Moshe, Hashem directed that kingship into Moshe's hands. So Moshe's hands are instead of the Shem and Amishra. When Moshe puts his hands on Yeshua, it was like he was giving him Shem and I didn't need Shem and Amishra. Because Moshe's hands themselves have all that godly power to imbue the, whatever, whatever, basically, Shem and Amishra, when you put it on someone, creates the download. Okay, when they pour the Shem and Amishra, that's when the spiritual downloading of all these godly qualities are downloaded into the server, into this person's neshama. Here, Hashem downloaded it in Moshe Rabbeinu's hands. So he doesn't say, again, he's not saying that we use Shem and Amishcha. No, there was definitely no Shem and Amishcha being used over here, anointing oil. But he's saying the Moshe Rabbeinu's putting of his hands, the smicha, that constituted Shem and Amishcha, like the Shem and Amishcha. In the place of anointing oil. Very special. Okay, so that's an answer. However, that's not, we still have to know. Why couldn't he use the Shem and Hamishcha if that's the procedure? And this is the first time, now if you have, especially if you have a mitzvah. You have a mitzvah when you're anointing a king to use, to, there's a process. You do it through so and so and so. And Moshe Rabbeinu was the one basically who's practicing everything with us, teaching us everything. See, he's the original. If this is the case, it would make sense that for all future generations, we have a demonstration of how you give over leadership. It should be given over with Shem and Amishra. If that's the process, 
How come over here it was done through a different way, through Moshe Smicha, and not through Shem Hamish? Now, a simple answer could be given. We might suggest and say, Shemen Amishcha, anointing oil, Rambam says, is only used for Malchus based David. Only for the kings from the Davidic kingdom, they get to be anointed with Shemen Amishcha, with the anointing oil. Rambam says clearly, let me read it over here to you. In Hilchis Malachim. Here. Ein Moishchen Malche Yisrael. In, in Allah Yud, the first chapter of Laws of Kings, Ein Moishchen, we do not anoint Malche Yisrael, kings of Israel, B'Shemen Amishcha with anointing oil, Elo B'Shemen Afarsamayim. But rather, when, you, when, when they anointed a king that was not from the descendants of David, they used a, another kind of a perfumed oil from Afarsamayim, but not that special oil that Moshe Rabbeinu created. That's it. And then he says also, you're also not allowed to do it in the city of Yerushalayim, to do it elsewhere in the land. Because those kings are not parallel to the kings of David Amalek. So we can give a simple answer. Yeshua was not from, Yeshua was not from the kings of David, kings of David. Therefore he doesn't get Shem and Amishcha. Shem and Amishcha is reserved only for David's kingship. Possible would be a nice answer, but there's a big problem. You see clearly from the Rambam that that halacha only applies after David HaMelech was selected. After David HaMelech was selected, and since when David became king, he merited to take the crown of kingship, Kesar Malchus. He was Zeichen, that crown, as an inheritance for him and for all of his future generations. It's running, the royal blood runs through the descendants of David HaMelech until Moshiach will come, until the ultimate king from David. And therefore, if that's the case, um, what's it called again? Oh, so, 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 but before David HaMelech was chosen, it's clear from the Rambam that they did use anointing oil. That they did use the Shem and Amishcha for kings that were not from David. How do you see that? The halacha I quoted to you earlier, from where the Rambam proves that we bechlal, that we, that we anoint a king with Shem and Amishcha. As I told you earlier, it doesn't say so beferish in the Chumash. Where does the Rambam prove that a king, when he is appointed, you use Shem and Amishra? Rambam uses Shenemar. Kishemamidin Amelech, when they appoint a king, they appoint him with Shem and Amishra. Shenemar vayikach Shmuel as Pacha Shemen. Shmuel took the jug of oil. Vayitzak al Roishoi vayishkeu. And he poured it on his head. Who's it talking about? Shol HaMelech. He's not from David. He's the king that preceded King David. And yet, Rambam uses that as the proof that when they appoint a king, you use Shem and Amishcha. So, so you have to say that this the Rambam says later that you don't use Shem and Amishcha. That once David, in order that that should not conflict with what the Rambam said just before, it depends. Pre-David and post-David. Pre-David before King David... Any king was appointed with Shem and Amishcha. Because Shem and Amishcha was, kingship was not yet designated to one family. Once David HaMelech was however appointed, he is the king of the Jewish people for all times, even though temporarily there could be breaks in that kingdom and other, and other kings temporarily are kings. If that's the case, brings us back to the question. 
Yehoshua, who was a king prior. How many generations? He's like seven generations before David. He's way before. So why wasn't Yeshua Nimshach? Why wasn't he anointed with Shem and Amisha? With anointed oil. Now, by the way, I mentioned now that what? That Rambam learns that, Shmu, that Shol, King Saul, was anointed with anointing oil. Not everybody holds that. The Radak, if you look in Shmuel, Aleph, one of the one of the Mepharshim Anavi is the Radak, and the Radak says no that when Shmuel anointed Shaul Amelech, he didn't use Shemen Hamisha, he used the Shemen Afarsamoi, this other kind of Shemen, this other kind of oil, not Shemen Hamishcha, not, not not the special anointing oil, because it's only for King David. So on, according to Radak, we could talk, we would be able to say that that's why Yeshua was not anointed with the Shemen Hamishcha. But Rambam, we're asking a question according to Rambam. Rambam who tells us two things. Number one, Yeshua, when Yeshua was appointed as a leader, he qualifies as a king. Number two, Rambam says that kings are supposed to get anointed with Shem and Amishcha, with anointing oil. If so, how come Yeshua was not anointed with Shem and Amishcha? So to, so to understand this, I'd like to share with you an interesting medrash. The medrash says like this, this week's parsh. When Moshe Rabbeinu is telling God, it would be really good if you appoint someone as a successor of me, the Medrash points out that Moshe Rabbeinu was hoping and wanting that it would go over to his sons, his children. Moshe wanted to see his son. Because Aaron's um, position went over to his son, to Elazar. Moshe was hoping that his leadership would also go over to his children. And that's what Moshe Rabbeinu said, and especially right after he saw the story that precedes Moshe Rabbeinu asking God, is when the daughters of Tzalafchad came to Moshe complaining that when they're going to go to, that since their father died and there's no sons, what's going to happen with their father's portion of land? And since there's no, who's going to take that land? And Moshe Rabbeinu asks God, and God says, it should be given to the daughters. If there's no son, it should be given to the daughters. So Moshe Rabbeinu said, ah, so you see what? That a person's inheritance goes to his children, even to his daughters. So this is the right time to bring it up with God, asking Hashem, maybe shouldn't I appoint my son as a king, as the next king for the Jewish people, the next leader. So it says over here, um, uh, in Perek, uh, in Bamidra Rabbah, Medrash Rabbah, Perek Chaf Aleph, Pasuk Tezvav. It says, When he saw that the daughters of Tzalafchad, they inherited their father, Moshe said, I can ask for my own needs. If daughters can take, so shouldn't it be that my son should take, they should take my honor. So Hashem says to them, answered Moshe Rabbeinu, The guardian of the fig tree will eat its fruits. The one who guarded the tree is the one who will eat the fruit. Who guarded you for the last 40 years? Who took care of you? Who took care of your shul? Who took care of all the things? It was Yeshua. He sat and studied Torah day and night next to you and he attended to all your needs and he took care that everything in the shul should be prepared for the ones who are coming to learning. Well, he's going to be the one who's going to take over, not your children. 
your children sat around, they didn't learn Torah. Doesn't mean they didn't learn Torah. Moshe Rabbeinu's children, of course, they were big tzaddikim, and of course they learned Torah. But they were not as occupied day and night like Yoshua. Yoshua har harbe sharsach a lot he he attended to you. The har becholek lekovet he gave you so much covet, so much honor. For who are your mashkim umariv the beisavad shalach? And he was the one who was there, always the first one and the last one in the shul to open up and to in, in your tent of meeting, in your place where you taught people. He was the one who opened and shut the shul. Who are your mesaderes asafsal? And he was the one who set up the benches and the chairs. It's amazing. For who poires asamacht salois? And he was the one who put out the mats for the people to sit. Since he was the one who attended to you with all of his power, it is fitting and only worthy that he should be the one who should uh, serve the Jewish people. He will not lose his reward. And that's why appoint him. Fine. So the question over here is asked. The Farshim asked the question. It's a simple question. Um, well, this doesn't make any sense. If Moshe Rabbeinu's children did not study Torah, so what was Moshe Rabbeinu thinking when he thought that his son will be able to take over? I mean, what is Moshe Rabbeinu? What is his main job? He's Moshe Rabbeinu. That's what we call him, even though we said he's a king. But what is he primarily? What, what is he? We don't even call him Moshe our leader. We call him Moshe our teacher. He's the one who teaches us Torah. So if Moshe is the one who teaches the Torah, and we also say in, 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 um, in Pirkei Yavis, we say, Moshe kibel Torah, um, sorry, he gave it over to Yeshua. Yeshua was his loyal student, which he gave over, he poured all of his wisdom into him, into all the Jewish people, but they Yeshua primarily. So Yeshua is the Magad. So how can even Moshe think that his children should be the recipients if they're not the great scholars? They don't have, the Medrash they didn't study, they weren't Osek Betor. Again, they weren't Chas Vashon, ignorant people. But they were not the Osek Pitara like Yeshua. So what was his thought? How did Moshe even think that the, that Yeshua, that Shomon should, that anybody besides Yeshua should be the uh, should be the the manik? And uh, so, however, we can say that when Moshe Rabbeinu wanted Yeshua to be. Um, that when he wanted his son to be the manik, it wasn't, Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't thinking about the Torah authority. Moshe was thinking about the royal, the kingly. I mean, Moshe Rabbeinu was more than just a teacher of Torah. Moshe Rabbeinu was the caretaker of the Jewish people. He was appointed, he was their authority, he was in charge over all aspects of their life. And that's a job of a king. So notice when we, once we when we have to say that when Moshe Rabbeinu was asking, right, we have to say that when Moshe Rabbeinu was asking that his children should sit in his place in his chair and be his successor, he couldn't have meant Torah, because God is clearly telling him that Yeshua is the one who's he's, he's the master of Torah, and so you have to say that what was Moshe Rabbeinu looking that that he wanted in terms of governorship kingship, melech, on the people, which is taking them out to war, bringing them back from war, taking care of disputes, and so on and so forth, involving himself in all the, in all the that people should have uh, parnasa and all the jobs that a king has to take care of, education and whatever, all the other governing, 
elements governing, this is something that Moshe wanted his son to do. If that's the case, what's God answering him? Because you see, kids did not learn Torah. <laughs> Who's talking about Torah? Torah leadership, okay, I'm going to look for the biggest Talmud Chacham, the greatest scholar, the one who received most of the knowledge of Moshe, or all the knowledge of Moshe, and that one will be the scholar. So again, we're forced to say from Moshe's question that Moshe Rabbeinu wouldn't be handing over the Jewish people just to a family member if the person wasn't worth it. So it must be the person was worth it. What was the worthiness of him? To be a king. Now it's interesting. The halacha is that kingship goes over an inheritance. The first candidate to become the next king, the successor of a king, is that we see it in the world as well. In the kings of England, you're looking for royal blood. Kingship goes in the veins. It goes over, it's in the blood, it flows in the blood. And that's the halacha. The halacha is, Malchus is a Yerusha. Not just the King David. Any king that's a king, naturally his king will t- his son will take over. It's only by Domina Melech that by him is a special blessing that's for all eternity. Other kings, it can be for a few generations, then it will stop. But by David, forever, fine. Kingship goes over by Yerusha. And even though, and therefore Moshe Rabbeinu, we understand, felt that his son should inherit this power of Yerusha. And even though Rambam says that you, we don't appoint a king unless the person is great in Torah and in God-fearing. Two main qualities that he needs. He needs to be a, a, a great in Chachma, in wisdom and in Torah, and in fearing of Hashem. And obviously Hashem said to Moshe, your children are not so great in Torah. So why was Moshe Rabbeinu? The Rambam, however, says that even if they're not great in Chachma, in wisdom, but if they are filling their father's shoes in fear of God, in fear of Hashem, then we hire special tutors and teachers to catch him up on wisdom. We'll, we'll help him learn. We'll help him learn and get, get knowledge. As long as we have that. Now, it doesn't say anywhere that Moshe Rabbeinu's children were any less than him in fear of Hashem. It doesn't say that. It says clearly they were not such scholars like him. They weren't Osek Torah like him. Maybe they davened uh, Maybe they were big tzaddikim. I don't know. I'm sure they weren't regular people. It doesn't say that they were less in fear. So therefore, Moshe Rabbeinu felt that what? That his children, successor, should be the king. But if that's the case, we have to understand what is Hashem answering him when Hashem is saying they're not great in Torah. So they're not great in Torah. So good. So the, the, the rabbi will, will, will appoint a rabbi to teach Torah. And that will be Yeshua. And let's have the other one. So the answer to all of this is as follows. In Sefer Megale Amukas, um, which is a great uh, co- commentator, mainly based on Kabbalah, Kabbalistic ideas. However, he also has a Pshat as well. He's, he's, he, and, oh, he's Medayek. He, 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 he um, um, deduces from the Psukim over here in, from the Chumash, from our psukim over here, he extrapolates from Moshe's from Moshe Rabbeinu's redundant words. Hashem, please appoint a leader that will do two things. He will take them out and bring. He will go out before them and 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 come in before them, and then he continues and he says, and he will take them out and bring them in. From that redundant psukim seeming to be doubled, double stated, 
Here is what he says. I mentioned that earlier. I pointed to this. Why is it double? So the Magal Amukah says, Moshe Rabbeinu was, saw that there are two powers. When, he, when, he is, when he's going to pass on, he's leaving two functions, two positions to be filled. He was an all-inclusive man, Moshe. He can be the king, and he can also he, and he can also be the rabbinic authority, the highest rabbinic authority, the Sanhedrin. He can be the highest rabbinic authority. That was him. Now that Moshe Rabbeinu was departing from the world, he was vacating two positions: Torah authority and kingship. In a sense, a Kesar Torah and Kesar Malchus, two separate things. And that's what he was asking when he said. One that will walk, go before them and, and come in before them, that's a king. Because he's the one who leads them out to war. And in all matters, he's their leader. He goes before them. He leads them. One that will take them out and bring them in, that's already Torah governing because that already is enforcing the laws of the Torah. You're forcing people to go out and come in, meaning that's already far more meddling in people's private affairs of the Torah, which is the Torah authority, which is the, the rabbinic authority. Two separate things. And the Magala Amukis says that Moshe Rabbeinu wanted, there should be two leaders. That's what he wanted. Two authorities. Two complete different authorities. One will do one, and the other will do it. Interesting. Kliyakar also, if you look at the Kliyakar, interesting, also says the same thing, that Moshe Rabbeinu was looking at two, two complete different jobs, but the Kliyakar doesn't say that he wanted it to be two people. He says that Moshe Rabbeinu went, you know, the Kliyakar says it's a very, very beautiful thing. When Hashem told Moshe to anoint, not to anoint, to appoint Yeshua, he said he sh- Moshe should lean on him with your hand. Put your hand on him. When it came to actually doing it, Moshe Rabbeinu put both his hands. And Rashi says it's because Moshe Rabbeinu did it so hard. Once God said this is what he wants, Moshe didn't bear any grudge. It didn't go over to his children. Moshe did it so wholeheartedly, he did it even better than Hashem commanded. He did it with both his hands. But the Kliyakar says the idea that Moshe Rabbeinu put both his hands was because, because Moshe Rabbeinu gave both positions over to Yeshua. The position of rabbinic uh, authority and uh, Pure and, and governing authority, both of them together. But the Megala Amuka says that initially Moshe Rabbeinu's suggestion to God was there should be two ruling powers in Israel. One is the governing power of the Torah. The other one is the governing power of the king. Two things. And one of them should go to Yeshua, the rabbinic authority. The other one should go to his children. Hashem told him no. Hashem did not accept it. What did Hashem say to Moshe Rabbeinu? Um, we all, this reminds us that two, two kings can't use one crown. Bringing us back to the fight that there was between the sun and the moon. We know that the moon is smaller than the sun. It says that the moon, because Hashem created these two emperors in the heaven, a sun and a moon. Initially the moon was just as large as the sun. The moon came to God and the moon had a complaint. You can only have one king. You can't have two kings. They say too many cooks spoil the soup. Too many kings would be a horrible mess. 
can't have more than one king. Daber echad lador. The generation has one leader. And there's no two leaders to the generation. One leader. And because there has to be one leader, so for that, the same thing over here, Hashem says to Moshe Rabbeinu, there's going to be one leader. You can't have um, uh, Yeshua together with another authority because then there will be two leaders and that's clashing. One, two, and he says, two kings can't be mishtamish bekeser echad with one crown. However, it's very nice. But here comes a very, very, but here's a big question. Why is it considered two kings with the same crown if it's, if it's actually two different authorities? One is deciding Torah law and the other one is deciding uh, taxes. The other one is deci- deciding uh, economics. The other one is deciding po- po- political appointments. The other one is deciding uh, war and, and the like. These are all com- it's a complete different situation. It's not the same authority. One of them is governing religi- religious elements, and the other one is governing civil, uh, political, and, and what do you, how would you call it, um, other than religious? What would, be the, what would be the word we're looking for? Well, not secular, because the, 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 the aspects of life that are outside of religion. So in other words, the idea that two kings can't use the same king is when they're both sharing the same authority. Here it's two separate authorities. To make matters worse, to make matters worse, we find that throughout Jewish history, Jews were always governed by these two powers. There were always two authorities. Why? Rambam says in the laws of Sanhedrin, where's Rambam here? The Rambam and laws of Sanhedrin, back here. Rambam says, um, speaks about the large courts, the different courts that we appoint. And the Rambam says there is a Beisden Hagadol B'Migdash, there's a large Beisden in the base of Migdash, Ru'anikra Sanhedrin Gedoyla, that's called the large Sanhedrin. And they have a, it's a 71 member Sanhedrin. Okay? And, and he pointed, because how do you know 71? Because Moshe Rabbeinu was told to gather 70 elders, and Moshe is the 71st. And here's what the Ramam adds. Hagadol b'chachma, the one who is great in wisdom, shebekulam, that's above them all, Moshivin oisei roishaleim. He's appointed to be the head of the Sanhedrin. For who roish ha-yeshiva, and he's the head of the yeshiva. For who shekorin oisei chachamim nasi. He's called the nasi. The Jews always had a nasi. What was a nasi? The Nasi is the highest rabbinic authority. He's the head, he decides Jewish law. He, him and the court, but he's the 71st. And hear these words. Beautiful. So gishmak to learn this because we're so ignorant in these things. We have a Sanhedrin and we need to have a Moshe Rabbeinu. Who is standing in for Moshe Rabbeinu? The Nasi. The Nasi and who was, Hillel was a Nasi. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, I think, was the Nasi. And there, they got Begam Liel. Yet all the, all the descendants of Hilo, they were all Nasiim. That's the Nasi. Oh, and then, but at the very same time, that throughout the entire time of Beis Amigdash, in the second Beis Amigdash, when they had this Nasi position, Jews also had a king. Two separate authorities. There was a king. The Gemara always tells us stories about the kings and the Nasiim. Oh, that was always going on. 
They always have this. So our governing, the, the, the Jewish governing brand, um, 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 government had two branches, so to speak. A religious branch, which was the, which was, which was the Beisdin, and an ordinary element, a, 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 a political branch, so to speak, which was led by the king. So you see, this was common practice. Moreover, the halacha says that you can't even share the two. The halacha says that a king cannot be part of the Beisdin. Rambam brings it that you're not a, a king is forbidden. You have to have a court, and the king, even if he's the greatest rabbi, he cannot sit with the Sanhedrin. The Rambam says that regular kings, Malche Yisrael, can't can't judge at all. Um, kings from King David, Shlomo Melech, was a judge. That's private. That's private judgment, but he can't join join the Sanhedrin. Comes out that it's the idea of separation of powers. It's just this idea of separation of powers, and that are two things is a concept in Jewish law that has gone through throughout. If that's the case, why is it that we're saying now that when Moshe Rabbeinu made that suggestion that it should be two, the Abishter said no, it has to be Yeshua, and he will be the sole authority. Because you can't have two kings. That's the question. So to answer this, here's a very, very yishmakid, deep uh, idea and beautiful halachic clarification. Also by the Lubavitcher in one of his talks. That is, ah, very good. It, it just gives such clarity in things that generally we're, we're confused. And he says like this, that we need to differentiate between the, um, the, the latter, the position of Nasi that was common in the Jewish people throughout the entire Second Temple era, or maybe even in the First Temple. The, the position of Nasi, that Torah rabbinic authority, and Moshe and Yehoshua, they were also Nasi. But Moshe and Yeshua's Nesios of Torah, meaning leadership of Torah, rabbinic authority, was way above and higher than the rabbinic authority of even the Nasi that's standing in the place of Moshe. It's a different level of authority. And therefore, and let me just, I'll, I'll, I'll conclude, and then later we'll, figure, we'll understand it. But first I want to conclude, therefore like this. A regular level Nasi, an ordinary Nasi, the common concept of a Nasi, which is the highest rabbinical authority, the head of the Sanhedrin, his authority does not clash with the king's authority. The king's authority and that person's authority and the, head, and the rabbinic authority do not clash. Quite on the contrary, they complement each other. But, but when we're talking about the high level of Nasi, which only Moshe and Yeshua possessed, that very elevated kind of Nasi is a type of Nasi that has such authority and such power that if you appoint a king to govern the political side of things, the two of them would clash. And, it's consi- and, they're, and, they're, and they're heads on with each other and they, it doesn't work. Meaning you can't have two kings. It would be considered two kings, not one king. Why? And he says one very powerful idea. 
And that is only by Moshe Rabbeinu and Yeshua, the first two generations, was the entire Torah entrusted to one person. Moshe Rabbeinu was God's, he was the authority on Torah. Bottom line, after, you couldn't argue on Moshe. No one can argue on Moshe. It was God giving Moshe Rabbeinu the Torah, Moshe had it. Second generation, Moshe Rabbeinu umesara liyahushua. I gave it over to one person. And the Rebbe is Medayik, he, he finds this in Rambam. And f- but f- from Yeshua and onward, Torah was always given over to one person, however, in co- together with the Beisdim, together with a group of people. That means it was a collective brand, it was a collective group, it wasn't an individual. The only time Torah authority, full power, authority on Torah, rabbinic authority on the highest level, exclusively to one person, only by Moshe and Yeshua. And he proves it from, if you look in Rambam, in the introduction to Mishnah Torah, in the introduction to Mishnah Torah, uh, is it? Yeah. Rambam lists the order of how the Torah is transmitted from generation to generation. Rambam basically gives you the whole, um, the whole trans, transmission of all the generations from Moshe to Rabbeinu HaKadosh, who made the Mishnah, Rambam further, Rambam actually continues all the way to the conclusion of the Gemara. To the end of the Talmudic era, Rambam actually goes you name by name so we have a clear Mesorah of who got the Torah and how it was passed on from generation to generation by names. By each one of them, Rambam says, this person and his Beisdin received from this person and his Beisdin. This person and his Beisdin received from this person and his Beisdin. Always mentions him and his Beisdin. And to, to show how important that is, is that Rambam in a letter, not here, in a letter that he writes to someone, he says, I intentionally put in, when I wrote about the people passing on the Torah, I didn't name individual people. I always mentioned them and their court, them and their court, because I wanted to show that the Torah was always transmitted from Rabbim to Rabbim, from a group to a group, not singular. Because when the things are singular, you're always worried for a little corruption. One person all have all the power, we can make things up. But it's always a group to a group to a group. Ramam emphasizes that. However, that's all the... Uh, here. Uh, here we go. So I'll give an example. The Kibel Eli menazekenem ume Pinchas. Eli received from Zekenem and Pinchas. From the elders and Pinchas. Shmuel <coughs> received from Eli and his Beisdin. David received from Shmuel and his Beisdin. But when it comes to the first one, look over here. Vizikainim rabim kiblu mi Yahushua. And many zikainim received from Yeshua. It doesn't say Yeshua and his base. Only Yeshua. And I'll give you why. Because if you take a look earlier in the same Rambam, it says an amazing thing. And that's not because there weren't others who knew how to learn maybe as much as Yeshua. Maybe they did. Look what Rambam says earlier. Moshe Rabbeinu taught the entire Torah to the 70 Zikanim and the Elazar to Elazar the son of Aaron and Pinchas, this week's Parsha, Pinchas, and Yahushua. And okay. These are the three main people Elazar, the Kohen, Pinchas, and Yeshua all received from Moshe. But, here's the, hear these words of the Rambam. 
Yeshua, who is his personal student, Moshe Rabbeinu handed him over the oral law and he commanded it to him. That means you put him, he, he had other students that knew everything, but on him, he made him responsible. He says, you're the authority. One authority. That means a whole different story. That means as follows. That even though Rambam says, we said earlier, that this, the head of the Sanhedrin, the Nasi, let's say, who, who's a Nasi? Hillel was a Nasi. Or all these Shimon Tzadik, uh, no, he was Kohen Gadol, but whoever, whoever the Nasiim were throughout the history of all these Nasiim, the, in the beginning of Pirkei Yavis, when it lists uh, the two people in the beginning, when it keeps on saying in each Mishnah, these two people received from him, and these two people, always the first person is the Nasi, and the second one is the head of the Beisdin. But in any case, so, the, the, um, the, when the Rambam says that that person is in the place of Moshe, what he means is that just like Moshe was a leader of the whole Sanhedrin, this person is also the leader of the court. He's the supreme justice over all the other justices. That, that yeah, the other ones are similar to Moshe, that they are the supreme justice over all the other uh, 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 judges that are in the big court. Got that. But what Rambam does not mean is that they're mamish that they have the same authority of Moshe, and the reason is simply because there are there's a body. It's seventy people. It's not just them. There's other people that have the whole base. Then received the Torah, so he doesn't have exclusive authority. Yeshua has exclusive authority. Moshe had exclusive Yeshua. That is sole exclusive power. That's real authority. So for instance, let's take on the United States for instance. We have different governing branches. We have the president. Who is the most powerful po- person in the country? It's the president. But yet at the same time, the branch of the, the other governing branch, the, what is it called, the, um, the House of Representatives or the Congress, and they, they, together they have, a, they have a name together, both of them, what is it called? Anybody know? The other governing branch, okay, they're in the... But whatever it is, they, in many ways, have more authority than the president. But it's not one person. Even though there's a speaker of the house, but it's not one person. He's not... But here, for instance, in, in, in this case, in terms, Moshe Rabbeinu was exclusive authority in Torah law, and Yeshua would have been exclusive authority. What's the problem now? problem then is, for that reason, you can't have a king. Another king. Why can't you have another king? Let me explain. Why can't you have another king? Together with such a leader. Because the definition of kingship is, a king, the definition we see in Torah, and here's a very, very important idea what a king is. A king is the highest authority in the land. Every other appointer, appoint, ap- appointment has to answer to someone. A mayor has to answer to the governor. The governor has to answer to the president. See, there's always a higher authority. The idea of a king is there's nobody that he has to answer to besides God. That's what it says by the Mechilta. It's a Mishnah in Mesechtis Horias. The Mishnah says in Mesechtis Horias, Tafyud, the Mishnah says, Asha Nasi Yechto. When it says a Nasi will king, he will sin. 
by not doing one of the commandments, Hashem Elokov, of Hashem, his God, he disobeyed God, so the Mechilta, the Medrash learned, the Safra learns out, and it's actually also a Mishnah, Masech Tesorius, that the definition of a king is She'ein al-Gabov, he doesn't have any other authority, other God, other than God. So a king is the highest power in the land. If there is, however, a governing authority of religious law, of religious law, that is also a one-person absolute power, you're going to end up with two absolute powers. Two absolute powers you can't have. When you have a Sanhedrin, a whole group, and even if you have a Nasi, which is a leader of that group, a Supreme Court justice, since he's not governing alone, he's governing as part of a whole group. So it's true, the group has absolute power, but an individual doesn't have absolute power. So there can be a king who governs the political aspects of the country, and he's considered as the highest authority of the land, because there's no one equal to him in authority. Understand? There's no one who has absolute power. He has absolute power. He doesn't share his power with anybody else. He has absolute power. There is a basin, fine. It's governing the religious aspect of things, but it's not one person. But if, if this is what Hashem is telling Moshe Rebbein, if Yahushua, who you are giving him over exclusive power of rabbinic power, that means that in that area, he would be the exclusive authority, if you're going to appoint your son as king, and that king is also going to have exclusive authority in, in kingship, then the king doesn't have exclusive authority because he's clashing with someone else who has absolute power. And that's called two kings that we can't have. Stand the difference? Makes sense. The other, other rabbinic authorities never had that rabbinic authority like Yeshua and, and, and Moshe Rabbi. One can still ask one question. And then soon we're going to, and soon we're going to see, and here's, here's we're getting to the point. One can still ask a question. Still, since we're dealing with two branches of government, one is the religious aspect of life, Torah life, and the other one is governing legal laws having to do with the smooth running of a country, war and whatever else that, that needs, and, and all the other aspects of it. Uh... Why is it still, even, I understand, even though, even though you'll say that they're both exclusive powers, but still why is it considered they're both sharing the same, the same crown? It's not the same crown. Meaning the same, the same authority. It's two separate authorities. We just established, okay, these, these would be two absolute powers, but they're two separate powers. It's not the same power. Here is a power I want to know my religious life. I want to know what I'm supposed to do in Shabbos, in the laws of Shabbos. I have to go ask the rabbi. And there's nothing to do with relig religiosity. It has to do with the law of the land. Two separate things. So why can't you have two? Let's say taka, absolute powers. But let there be two. Who cares? So here is the point. And we're leading, all this is leading up to one point. The rabbi says, Gaval. He says that you can't have in Judaism a king who's purely secular governing. There's no such a thing in Judaism. The, the, the king who's the authority over governing the land 
in a sense, is deriving his, his, the way he's governing the land from the Torah. Because Rambam, and he points to an interesting Rambam, one more Rambam, I'm quoting so many Rambams today, but everything is a Rambam. The Rambam says that what is the main objective of a king? What is, he's the enforcer of the law. Which law? So Rambam says an interesting thing about the king. Ubekol, this is in the end of the fourth chapter of Hilchus Malach and the Laws of King. He says, Ubekol, ye amais of l'shem shamayim. The king should have his intentions only for the sake of God, not for his own glory. Vitiya machshaftoi and his thoughts, umagamasai, and all of his strivings should be laharim das ha'emes. To raise the true religion. The true meaning. He's here to make sure that people adhere to Torah mitzvahs. Respect it, lift it, and the, and the land is governed. That's his job. That means that even though technically there are areas in governing that are not directly related, you know, if they're deciding if they're going to build a bridge or not going to build a bridge, or put a road or not, it's not a Torah-related question. Or if he's going to increase the, the coin, if a coin, you know, how they, if they're going to lower the interest rates or raise the interest rates, these are not necessarily a Torah question. That's also authority, but that's, that's like almost secondary to the king. The main aspect of the king is he's enforcing what the courts have established. And that's why interesting, he says a very, very important idea. In a sense, the king is a receiver from the Sanhedrin. In other words, all law is really originating in the body of the Torah, the Torah body, which is the Sanhedrin. They're the ones, they're the ones dictating the law, religious law, yeah, Torah law. The king is receiving the verdict from them. He's the implementer. So he's really taking from them. Why are we saying that he is the highest authority? He is the highest enforcer. In terms of governing, no one has authority over him. He is the enforcer. They can't enforce like he can. So he's higher in enforcing. But he's still a recipient from them. It's a halacha. You know, it's an, even though we say there's no one above the king, there's an interesting halacha. Ramam says that the king is obligated to respect the Sanhedrin. And when they come to his private palace to meet him, he should stand up for them as they walk in. Sit, sit them next to him and give them a lot of respect privately, not publicly. In front of the people, he's not allowed to show any respect for anybody because everybody is his servants. The king is not allowed to say rabbi something to someone. The biggest Rosh Hashiva, the biggest Sadiq comes in, the king is not allowed to say rab, rab, rabbi so. The king has to say, Yankel, David, to the biggest. Why? Because the king is, because in front of people, he's the authority and everybody has to fear him. But not in front of people, in privacy of sin, just as maybe a few servants there, he's supposed to respect them. Why? Because he's a recipient from them. That means his governing power is really coming from them. Because they're deciding, why? Because since his main objective of governing is governing the Torah, implementing the Torah, even though there are some other aspects that he's also governing. It's, and that's the reason why. If you, so I asked the question, Ooh, why can't we have two authorities? Moshe Rabbeinu should have his son should be the king and, uh, and then Yeshua should be the ultimate authority of Torah. If the son is a king, 
And Yeshua is the ultimate authority of Torah. Since the authority of the king is really coming from the authority of the Torah, the king is really not a real king because he has someone above him. Yeshua is above him. Got it? You have, you have someone above him and he can't, then he's not a real king. To be a real king, he can't have anybody above him but God. Oh, if it's not Yeshua, if, it would, if it's the body of the whole, if it's the entire senate, then it's okay. Why? He can still be a king because they're not governing individually. They're governing only as a group. Then he has no other authority above him but God. There's no person with a higher authority. But if you have all the entire Sanhedrin wrapped up in one person, like Moshe and Yeshua, where they were the exclusive power, and at the same time, you want to give me a king, that won't work. Because the king is deriving his governorship and his power from the Torah. It's not a, that means Judaism is a Torah monarchy. It's a Torah kingdom. It's, not, it's a religious kingdom. It, you can't divide it as a secular thing and, and, and a religious thing. There is no separation of state and a religious and state in, in a Torah government. It's really one thing. The king is subject to the Torah, deriving from the Torah. And that's how we explain why Moshe Rabbeinu's idea was not accepted. And God said there has to be only one king. Why Moshe thought that it could be, I'm not going to get into that right now. It could be that he, that he wants to say that he thought that maybe Yeshua will not be the exclusive one to give over the Torah. Maybe he will be shared with someone. Okay, we're not going to get to that. But I just want to conclude one thing. Now we'll understand why this is so beautiful and so deep. Why Yeshua was not anointed with Shem and Amishra with anointing God. That was the initial question. If Yeshua was appointed king, why wasn't he appointed? Why wasn't he appointed with Shem and Amishra? The Rebbe says a very gewaldic idea. Bah! So beautiful. He says a regular king who is appointed to kingship because he's being appointed as king, like Shaul, King Shaul, David, David HaMelech. Their kingship is being given to them to be a king. That's their authority. No, they need Shem and Amishcha. Yeshua, his kingship, he became king. But Yeshua's kingship is derived from the fact that he is the, he is the ultimate religious authority. He is the Torah king. He is the Nasi, but the full, full-fledged Nasi. That means, once he receives the king of Torah, which only he had, there was only, only one generation did we have a king of Torah. Moshe was a king of Torah. Yeshua was also a king of Torah. Once Yeshua became a king of Torah, and from Torah is where all governant, govern, governing power comes from, his kingship was, was a, and his authority over the people was a direct derivative of his kingly, of his Torah kingship. Oh, for Torah kingship, you don't receive that through anointing oil. That you receive through smicha. Once Moshe Rabbeinu gave Yeshua smicha, which means he is appointing him as the king of the Torah, as the one responsible of the Torah, which is not given through, Keser Torah does not get, go over through Shem and Amishcha. Nothing to do with anointing oil. Kahuna and Malchus go over through anointing oil. Torah does not go over through anointing oil. It goes over through a teacher teaching a student, and eventually when the teacher fills the student up, and he leans his two hands upon him, and he gives him official smicha, that's how he's, he's, or, he's ordaining him as a rabbi. Now since the main power of Yeshua was that he was a Torah nasi, he was a king, 
and his malchus, his kingship, was just a branch or a derivative from his nesios of Torah, that's why he didn't need anointing oil. Shaul HaMelech was not the king of the Torah. There was a Sanhedrin. David HaMelech was not even the king of the Torah. He was just a king. So for that he needed Shem and Amishcha. But Moshe Rabbeinu didn't need it. Because Moshe was the king. Moshe, there was no... And Yeshua didn't even need it. The smicha of being, getting smicha and being rabbinically ordained and becoming the king of the Torah, authority of the Torah, automatically made him the authority over... over automatically gave him authority uh, of kingship of a melech to govern people's lives. And one was taken from the other. And based on this, he just concludes, and let me just conclude, he says, that's the reason why you wonder, I asked earlier, how come in the Chumash it doesn't say anywhere to anoint a king? With oil. It doesn't say, the Torah doesn't say, when it comes to Kohanim, high priests, the Torah speaks of anointing the high priests with oil. But by the king, I showed you the Ramban, learns it out from a Pasuk, but it doesn't say openly, to anoint a king with oil. And the answer is, from the Torah's perspective, its preferred king is the king whose, whose kingship is, is the kingship of Torah. Since from the Torah's original di- idea of king is Moshe Rabbeinu, is Yeshua, that kingship doesn't need anointing oil. Later on, it happened that, these, that the governing kingship became an entity of its own. Then it needs Shem and Amishcha, but the Torah didn't put it, because that's not the vision of why the Torah sees the ultimate king. The ultimate king is a Nasi, a Nasi of Torah. And from the Seos and Torah, he also becomes the Nasi and the Melech over the people. And we, now, which other king is going to be that way? Mashiach. Because Mashiach is not, even though he's from King David, and he represents kings, Malchus, based David, Bishlemus, but he's also in the place of Moshe Rabbeinu, the ultimate authority of Torah. Atkedei Kachet says that Moshe Rabbeinu is going to learn Torah from Mashiach. And everybody, Mashiach is the ultimate, he's going to reveal new Torah, and on a level like has never learned before, he is the authority of Torah as well. So Mashiach Tzitkenu, in him you have a full combination. That's why the Rebbe only remains with the Tzorach Ian. The Baba Rebbe asks, he remains with the question, how come Mashiach is called Mashiach, which Luchura, the meaning of Mashiach, is anointed with oil? There's actually a whole Shaila if Mashiach needs to be anointed with Shem and Amisham. Especially based on what we're learning now, doesn't seem like that's an, even a necessity because his Nesius is not a Nesius of Malchus on its own, but it's a Malchus derived from his, from his Torah authority. In any case, we should have resolved this issue very quickly when we see Mashiach Tzedkenu, and we should yearn now that tonight is already the 17th of Tammuz, and I'm happy we're learning something so powerful and positive and so strong on such a night, because it's time already for all rectification and for us to see our King Mashiach, may we merit to see him mamish, 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 mamish now in all of his glory and all of his beauty and all of his splendor and all of his light and the ultimate teacher and the ultimate king. And we see it now.
Let's start.